Okay, real talk. When did paying someone back become social media? What do you mean? Like, say I want to see what you're doing and who you're hanging with, and you're not posting about it on your story. I can just stalk your pay app and find out what you're doing. Oh, yeah, that's weird. You do that? No, I don't do that. I use Apple Cash. It's built into your iPhone, easy and secure. You can send and receive money right in messages and keep it between friends, and then use that money to buy something at a store with Apple Pay. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? Maybe. Shh. Services are provided by Green Dot Bank, member FDIC. Terms apply. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio. Hi, Zarin. Do I know you? Nope. Oh. What's your name? Zarin. What's my name? Zarin. Okay, cool. That'll just make Everybody's it easy. Everybody's Zarin. That'll make it super easy. What's up, Elizabeth? Mm, nothing much. So, uh, yes? <laughs> what? Huh? Where? Do you have something? What, me? Do, do I have you, something? Do you know it's ridiculous? Oh, I totally do. Yeah. Yes. Actually, I was just about to book my, my tickets, and I wanted to tell you where I was going to go because I'm going to probably need to miss some shows. The uh, upcoming 411th and 11th Cotswold Olympic Games are coming up. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm a big fan, you know, of uh, the games. Mm-hmm. And uh, these Olympic Games, though, are where we, you know, we've discussed, we've discussed Cotswold a few times now. This is where the, yeah. the Cotswold UK cat shaver is. Correct, well, correct. This is where the Olympic Games is in the Dover's Hill uh, Arena in England. Mm-hmm. They have something that they've been doing now for four centuries called the Shin Kicking World Championship. Shin kicking? Shin, like, I'm going to kick you in the shin. Yep, just like that. Just like that. Champion style. Uh-huh. So I'm getting my game on. I've been kicking shins for the last four months. I'm thinking I got my technique down and everything. I'm going to go over there and kick some shins, and I'm, I'm going to be a champion. Are so, you going to get kicked in the shins? Oh, is that part of it? I haven't read all the rules. You're I've just, just been kicking on the shins. I didn't know how my shins get kicked in this. I don't know if I'm so down anymore. <laughs> Apparently, they also have other great games that six-year-old boys would want to play because <laughs> there is King of the Hill, Championship of the Hill, running races, and a tug of war. So I'm King, just there for the King chi- of the Hill, like what you push yeah, where you people. push people down the hill, like they're trying to get to the top of the hill and you shove them back down oh, like a dear. bully. But I'm just into for the shin kicking. I'm only there. <laughs> Soccer styly. Uh, that is ridiculous. Right? Pretty much. That's super ridiculous. <laughs> Do you know what else is ridiculous? Nope. Don't know at all. Uh, calling your hostages sir and ma'am while they're cuffed and face down on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> This is 
Ridiculous Crime, a podcast about absurd and outrageous capers, heists, and cons. It's always 99% murder-free and 100% ridiculous. Heists! Yes, you're talking my language. Heists! It's right there in our show description. Yeah, heists. it is. That's true. One Have of my I got, three favorite things. I've got heists for you today. Oh, yes. Uh, this is also going to get y'all fired up because there are ties to organized crime. Ooh, another one of my favorites. And there's celebrities. Yes. Yeah, so Zarin, there are celebrities. I'm meds on the celebs. I, I love them. <laughs> I love celebrities. I know you do. Uh, you TMZ fool. I'm so glad they exist. I'm going to take a page from your book. Okay. And because you, a lot of times you'll tell historical tales Mm -hmm. that take place in like the last couple hundred years. Sure. But you'll start with Vlad the Impaler. (laughs) Yes, the Vlad the Impaler. He's the root of everything, but it's sort of like extended causal analysis. You cannot tell the story of America without starting with Vlad the Impaler and Mehmed II. You have to start there. That's where the story of America starts. What? It's not me. Any good historian knows this. Well, that's that's interesting extended causal analysis. I'm not going to go full Vlad the Impaler okay. here. That's fair enough. But I'm going to start a story that takes place in the 1970s, which we love, yes, by the way. Yes, that is a favorite. With something that happened at the turn of the 20th century. Okay, so we're starting with the turn of the 20th century, then we're going to jump forward to the Barney Miller era. Correct. All right. So a man named Paolo Compercio. Okay. He arrived in New York from Naples, Italy, and he settled in Rochester, New York, with his family, and that included his son, Joe. Paolo, the son of a cobbler, worked hard as a foreman with the New York Central Railroad. Joe did not take after his father or grandfather, salt of the earth, who worked hard for their money. Joe became a bookie, Hmm. and he made tons of money with his illegal gambling ventures, He caused a stir in Rochester by marrying an Irish girl named Peggy. Okay. Good Uh, Irish name. They met in a speakeasy. The immigrant Italians and the immigrant Irish had a really tense, combative relationship in Rochester. Really understating understating it, but yes. (laughs) So, in fact, their wedding reception turned into like this alcohol-fueled melee Mm -hmm. at the end of the evening, Irish versus Italians. More of a wedding riot. Exactly. And um, in addition to this cultural clash in the marriage, Mm -hmm. they both had really hot tempers. Hmm. And, you don't um, hear that about the Italians and the Irish. I'm can so you surprising. imagine? I know. It's like two really chill <laughs> Yeah, folks. you always think, okay. Um, so they ca- they clashed continuously. Peggy wanted Joe to go straight, but he just couldn't. Okay. Um, they had a son named Robert, mm-hmm. Bobby. Hey, Bobby. And when he was seven years old, when Bobby was seven, his mom, Peggy, the Irish woman, mm-hmm. she asked him to sneak into his parents' bedroom while his father napped and steal $20 from a roll of money that he kept under his pillow while he slept. Like, what year is this? 20 bucks is a lot to steal. <laughs> right? Wow, mom's so, got big plans. <laughs> little Bobby, he crept into the room and like gingerly took the money roll from under the pillow, and he's mm-hmm. just being as quiet as possible. He like extracts two tens, okay. and then he slips the roll back under the pillow, and he heads downstairs and then hands the money to his mom. The bedroom. I love that he keeps his money under his pillow. Oh, like, yeah. I don't trust any of you people. I don't trust anybody. His father <laughs> snoozing away, right? So the mom is like, good boy. Thank you. Uh-huh. This becomes a regular thing where she's oh, like, go up there. I thought they were going to catch the train to Boston or something. <laughs> no. Go up there. Get me like 20. And then sometimes it's like, get me a 50. Okay. Um, Bobby's mom saying steal from dad. <laughs> Pretty soon he starts peeling off bills for himself oh, naturally, too. You're doing, I mean, why not? Yeah. Like if you're skimming, start skimming. It's the skimming. family way. Exactly. And then pretty sooner, he starts stealing from outside of his house. <laughs> well, you, you, if you practice something, you get exactly. good at it. Exactly. He went to the big leagues. So by the age of 11, mm-hmm. 
Uh, he was basically stealing anything he could from anyone in the neighborhood. <laughs> he was just klepto. Get on you, lad. So Joe, Bobby's dad, he had this duffel bag full of watches mm-hmm. that he kept in the hall closet. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. A duffel bag full of a watches? A duffel bag full of watches. Were these watches um, not cold but hot? <laughs> well, see, railroad workers, uh-huh. uh, they would get gambling debts because they would oh, place yes. bets with Joe. And Joe would take the watches as collateral uh-huh. until they could pay and, up. And they get their watch back. So okay. he's got a duffel bag full of watches, which is just like this incredible image <laughs> for me. It's amazing. Um, Seamus, which one's yours? I lost count. <laughs> so then Peggy, uh-huh. she she's in labor. She's going to have another kid. Kid number six. Ooh. Yeah, poor thing. So she has to go to the hospital to spit out this kid. <laughs> Bloop. Joe, he's like digging around. He gets his ba- his duffel bag of watches uh-huh. and he counts them out and there are two missing. Uh-oh. And Joe blames the housekeeper. Ooh. And he wants to just like get rid of her, come down hard on her. Peggy, she's like, I know who did it. Bobby. <laughs> it was our son. Don't blame the housekeeper. I like her. I need her. Yes. I've got she six kids now. She makes my life now. better. Take one of the yeah. boys. So this is what Peggy told Ira Burkow uh-huh. in the 1987 book, The Man Who Robbed the Pierre. All right. Quote, I came home with a baby, but I was full of thoughts about Bobby. He was going wrong, and I didn't know why. He had this thing in him. I don't know what it was. Some kind of devil streak. I knew he was stealing, so I decided to make him tell the truth. I was so distracted and crazy that I didn't know what to do. I got Bobby, and I said, come on up to the attic. On the way, I stopped at the pantry door and grabbed a big butcher knife. Jesus. I know, your eyes. Uh, there was a table in the attic, and I put Bobby's head down on it. <laughs> I put the big knife right down to his neck. I said, now, Bobby, you're going to tell me the truth. Did you take those watches from the black satchel? If you tell me you didn't take them, I'm going to cut your throat from ear to ear, and I'm going to li- let your head hang over. <laughs> Bobby told her, kill me then, because I didn't do it. Look at Stone Cold 13. Damn, Bobby. His mother followed up, quote, he said it over and over again. I finally let him go, but I knew damn well he did it. <laughs> and she was right. So now she's just really got him to practice being not only a thief, but a hard-ass There's, criminal. He's got a devil streak in him, yeah. so I'm going to grab a butcher knife. Where does the devil streak come from, Peggy? Yeah, I wonder, Pegs. Yeah, So, but he did. He stole the watches. But also, she was the one who got him going on all yes! this. And then he's acting like, I don't know where yes! the boy gets it from. Yes, so he sold those watches to the Milani brothers. Okay. They owned a meat market in town. Yeah, good. And he got $5 a piece, which is way less than they were worth. I'm sure. Um, by the time he was 12, he was robbing department stores <laughs> okay. and, and mansions. He busted into some people's uh, yes. mansions. He went to juvie at the age of 13. Um, you know what his father's advice to him was? Hmm. Never admit anything to the cops. Always deny everything, no matter what promises they make to you. <laughs> So here's this 13-year-old. You can't tell me anything. So Bobby, he's like in and out of jail, not just for his crimes, but also parole violations. Oh, naturally. And what did he do inside, though, when Um, he was in jail? I don't know, ran a three-card money game? He became a prison bridge champ. Nice. Like a champion of their bridge tournaments. Yeah, okay, I could see it. He's, uh, a, he's a smart kid. You can tell he's got like a good head on his oh, shoulders. Oh, yeah. He also acted as legal advisor to other inmates. Oh, jailhouse lawyer. Yeah. I like it. I wouldn't take legal advice from someone who got caught in his serving time, but that's just me. Yeah, well, you're particular. I well, think they must know things already. They've I, been through this. When I was teaching at the federal prison, uh-huh. there was a student one evening, and I, I taught cl- night classes yeah, in the uh-huh. yard, which was heavy. 
Um, but the student, he's bragging about how he was the boss on the streets and he ran things. Mm-hmm. And this other student, this guy who's like insanely smart, I had like four geniuses in my class. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, well, you weren't that good of a boss if you messed around and wound up in here. It's bosses like you got me sent away. <laughs> I thought that was hysterical. The rest of the class is busting up. Like the braggart, like he took his lumps and sheepishly admitted that the guy was right, which mm-hmm. was good because yeah, I didn't respect, want a right. riot in my class. Totally. Um, so my feeling is if you're in prison and you're legal maneuvering, haven't gotten you out yet, I don't want your advice. That's my advice. I, I know what you're saying. Mostly I would agree, but a couple of those jailhouse lawyers are as good as any lawyer yeah, you're Yeah, I guess find. if you have no no hope of getting out, yeah, you just also like they, study and study. Exactly. Some of them, they know do. the books. I mean, they Very know true. everything. Now, Very maybe true. they wouldn't win the case on, on appeal or in trial, yeah. but if you want to know where your legal standing good is. Point. Well, he, he filed his own petitions with yeah, the court. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. And he said, quote, the law was made by smart people who provided, in the maze of legal mumbo-jumbo, an out for other smart people. Yep. Always. Very true. That's what I'm talking about. So he was out on parole in 1969 when he met nice. Sammy the Arab Nello. That's a name. Sammy the Arab. Yeah. So Sammy and Bobby, uh, they became literal partners in crime. Okay. Um, and this Bobby is Bobby Comfort, right? That's another great name. Right. Because I told you in the beginning. Wait, you, his... You're going to tell me, I could be like a criminal, operate 1969. I'm like, okay, who are we going to call? Well, we can call Bobby Comfort <laughs> and we could call Sam the Arab. I well, love I, it. I forgot to mention it because his grandpa, uh, Paolo Compercio, uh-huh. when he came over from the old country, mm-hmm. he changed his name to Comfort. Oh, nice. And okay. so Bobby Comfort. So it's not a street name. It's his family it's name. It's his family name. Okay. So he's Bobby Comfort. And then he's got Sammy the Arab with him. <laughs> Um, so they start planning and executing high-profile heists. Okay. They, they shoot big. They robbed someone at the Hampshire House, which is an apartment building and a hotel at the southern edge of Central Park in Manhattan. Okay. Places filled with the rich and famous. Um, opera stars Jose Carreras, Placido Domingo, and Luciano Pavarotti all had apartments there. Huh. Um, Vladimir Nabokov had a place there. Um, Art Garfunkel. Huh. Uh, Julian Arpels, the heir to the Van Cleef and Arpels luxury jewelry fortune. Wow. Um, and then people who stayed in the hotel, Lucille Ball, Ingrid Bergman, John Wayne, Greta Garbo, uh, Marilyn Monroe with Joe DiMaggio, hmm. and of course, Frank Sinatra Sr. Um, and Ava Gardner. <laughs> but you know who else? Who? Sophia Loren. Yeah. Now, Sophia Loren was staying in a suite at the Hampshire House in 1970. Mm-hmm. Four gunmen one dressed as a chauffeur, entered the lobby early in the morning on October 11th, 1970. They forced the night manager to hand over the keys to Loren's suite on the 22nd floor. Oh, wow. So they knew she was there. They knew she was there. Two robbers stayed downstairs to guard the four handcuffed hotel employees. And then the other two went upstairs with the manager and the bell captain to gain entry into her place. So once they're there, they ring the doorbell and Loren's assistant, Inez Bruscia, she opens the door and they're like, oh, there's a gas leak. We hate to tell you this. But then they bust in while they're telling her this and they hit her on the head. <laughs> she didn't have a serious injury from that. Now there's a blood leak. Now, Sophia Loren's son, two-year-old Carlo Ponti Jr. was there, but he was oh, unhurt. Yeah. yeah. Loren, she'd worn this giant diamond ring on a recent TV appearance. And the robbers demanded she handed it over. Okay. 
Um, this is like some Diamond Doris Payne totally. synchronicity, right? And also it's like the Kardashian Paris robbing where they just bust into the they, hotel and they exactly. go, give me the jewelry. So she wears this huge diamond ring on TV. The robbers are like, we've seen that mm-hmm. recently handed over. They go rummaging through her bedroom. They take all this gold, two diamond brooches, a diamond necklace, two rings, pearls, a diamond bracelet, some other stuff too. Remember when I told you about that British TV show, The Heist? Yeah, totally. Uh, Peter Scott, one of the criminals on it, he stole a bunch of jewels from Sophia Loren one time. Really? She's been hit multiple times? She can't catch a break, right? (laughs) So Bobby and Sammy and two accomplices, uh, they joined the Sophia Loren Robber Boy Club. Okay. (laughs) There's a whole group of them. So they take the jewelry, they hopped into this waiting car, and they set off into the new day. Six hours later... Some kids were walking on River Road in West New York, which is a town in New Jersey, on the other <laughs> side of the Hudson from Manhattan, West so New, New York, Jersey. New Jersey. Yeah, just to confuse you. <laughs> and so the kids find a paper bag. What's inside? Some of Sophia Loren's stuff. Huh. They find her passport, a plane ticket in her name, a gold bracelet, a check for $14,000. What? I know. A keychain and a thousand lira bill. I, I, don't, I don't understand why they dumped it, but whatever. The, okay. Now, the thing is, is that... Sophia Loren had trouble getting insurance after Peter Scott stole all her stuff in London. Mm -hmm. So she had no insurance payout on her jewelry. Some of the jewelry, though, was on loan from Van Cleef and Arpels, previously mentioned, coincidence. That was insured. (laughs) So they were made whole. But she lost pretty much everything with it. Yeah. Sammy and Bobby, they were not satisfied with taking La Bella Sophia's jewelry (laughs) and assorted belongings. They wanted more. Oh, yeah. When we get back from this break, I'll tell you how much more. Yeah. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? Shh. Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. As you know, the world can be a dangerous and unpredictable place. With every crime I've studied, I've learned one thing. Your best line of defense is your vigilance and preparation. You don't want to worry, you just want peace of mind. That's why I recommend Simply Safe Home Security. For every ridiculous robbery and theft we talk about, it's pretty obvious the crimes could be avoided with a solid security system. A good home security system keeps people prepared and aware. Simply Safe is that system. It was named Best Home Security Systems 2024 by US News and World Report. And it doesn't just protect your home from crime, it also alerts you to fire, floods, and other emergencies. They offer sensors and cameras backed by 24-7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. There are no contracts, and there's a 60-day money-back guarantee. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect Monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com slash ridiculous crime. That's simplysafe.com slash ridiculous crime. There's no safe like Simply Safe. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, 
We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hey, look at us. Hey. Uh, have you ever seen the Humphrey Bogart movie, High Sierra? Yeah. Yeah. It was released in 1941, based on a novel of the hmm. same name. I didn't know that. I did not know that either. Um, so in it, Bogart plays a thief named Roy who gets out of prison and wants to do one last score. He plans to rob a resort called Tropico Springs mm-hmm. in the Sierra Nevada Mountains, thus the name. Uh, Sammy and Bobby saw this, and they thought, we could rob a hotel and have one last score. I'm telling you, movies are where criminals get their ideas. <laughs> yeah, but here's the thing. And then thing. they write books. And they're like, look, we start <laughs> with movies, and then we make books. <laughs> but there was a problem, because, like, Bogart plays Roy the Thief. Uh-huh. He dies at the end. Oh, yeah. It's not a good Spoiler model. Spoiler alert. For, <laughs> it's not a good model no. for, like, if you want to be a criminal. No. So, Bob, like if you want to be a robot and you watch Blade Runner. Well, I guess it's they like, figure, like, oh, I'll, I'll avoid those mistakes. Um, Bobby and Sammy, they watch the movie. It inspires them to rob high-end hotels. They hit mm-hmm. the Carlisle, the Drake, the Regency, the St. Regis, and, of course, Hampshire House. So doing all New York hotels, yeah. Manhattan hotels. Yeah. And then they set their sights on the Pierre Hotel next. The Pierre is on Fifth Avenue in Manhattan. It's super luxurious, opulent, really exclusive. It, like Hampton House, had apartments as well as hotel rooms. Okay. Um, and if you went there, you could see Aristotle Onassis walking around, hmm. Liz Taylor, Yves Saint Laurent. Everybody. And it was a big target, way bigger than the other ones I that bet. done. Sounds like it. Well, Bobby, he I had mean, ties. Liz Taylor's got real jewels. Oh, yeah. Yeah. White, di- was it? <laughs> White diamonds. White diamonds. <laughs> White diamonds. <laughs> so Bobby, he had ties to the Rochester crime family. Uh-huh. Um, so he was sensitive about pulling a big job on someone else's turf. Oh, smart. That's, that's so he good went instinct. and he got the blessing of the Lucchese crime family. Yes. And they said, you know what? You go ahead. You hit the hotel. We're going to hook you up. Mm-hmm. So they gave Bobby three cars, three dozen sets of handcuffs, and Damn. eight guns. <laughs> and then they coordinated to have the cars and the evidence destroyed mm-hmm. after all this went down. The family consigliere, uh, Christopher Christy Tick Fernari, mm-hmm. uh, he selected six of the Lucchese's best burglars to create an eight-man team needed for the job. All right. Uh, here's the cast of characters. Yes. Nick the Cat Sacco. Okay. His mom gave him the nickname because he was agile like a kitty cat. <laughs> um, Al Visanti. He was a retired heavyweight boxer. Nice. Uh, Robert Germain. He was an aspiring crime writer who wanted to commit crimes for material for his books. Okay. I, I relate. Uh-huh. I'm with this guy. <laughs> Donald Francos, a contract killer. Uh, okay. Ali Ben. Another contract killer who Damn. usually worked with the Albanian mafia. I was going to say, usually you don't have contract killers and bank robbers or heist men working yeah. together. Yeah. And then Al Green. Not that, that Al that, Green. Not the singer? He's it like, was Ali Ben's brother. You guys, I got a new tune I want to practice here. <laughs> it was Ali Ben's brother-in-law. Okay. And he was a Harlem numbers runner. Oh, right. All right. So Bobby booked a room at the Pierre about two weeks before New Year's 1972. Mm-hmm. He booked it under the name Dr. Foster. Yeah, it's okay. good. Forgettable. Uh, he should have do- booked it under Dr. Bronner. Dr. Bronner. <laughs> so, He's had like a crazy written all around the receipt. <laughs> everything written all over it. He researched the hotel and its protocols, and then he found out that they locked the doors overnight and only let people in if they had a room there. Hmm. 
Uh, he established this as his home base. The crew headed, while well, he's setting up for two weeks at the hotel, they go to the public library and they read through all the society pages for mentions of the hotel and who's staying there. Hmm. And just before 4 a.m. on January 2nd, 1972, a limo rolled up to the hotel's 61st Street entrance. Al Green was behind the wheel. Not that Al Green. Um, <laughs> Humming to himself. <laughs> the numbers runner, Al Green. He's dressed as a chauffeur. Okay. Uh, Robert Germain, the writer, he went to the entrance and he said he was there with Dr. Foster's party. So the security guard verifies the res- reservation and lets him in. They're all in disguise, by the way, wigs and <laughs> such, glasses. Sammy had on a giant wig, fake nose and glasses. Yeah. They went, they went big with the disguises. I love it. So the group, they hold the guard at gunpoint okay. while Al Green watches the main door and contract killer Donald Franco's, he watches the 61st Street door. Mm-hmm. If a guest walked by inside, Al, the boxer, would handcuff him. And they had a lot of cuffs, remember? Yeah, they got 20 pairs or something? Yeah, thir- 36. 30, oh, wow. All the cuffed guests were made to lay face down on the floor. Okay. So they got this whole lobby full of them. Zarin. Elizabeth. Close your eyes. Oh, yes! I want you to picture it. You are an L.A. film producer from a very wealthy family. That's right. Your success is based on generational wealth and connections. I'm a Nepo baby, baby. <laughs> so you're in town for your brother's big New Year's Eve bash at his Park Avenue penthouse. You got a room at the Pierre so you could have some private space and, like, hobnob with the various celebrities there. This time, though, you haven't seen many luminaries. Just unrecognizable rich folk. Hmm. Uh, You've been out partying at Studio 54, (laughs) and you're headed back to the hotel to crash. You're zonked out on goofballs, Zarin. (laughs) Stuffed to the gills with all manner of powders, lewds, and dexies. (laughs) You're a mess. But you look fantastic in that brown velvet Nehru jacket, gray satin shirt. Hip hugger slacks and sassy Cuban heel kick boots. That's right. That yeah, makes satin look. look good. So you hop out of your cab, you throw a fistful of bills at the driver, then you stumble toward the main entrance to the pier. You announce to the man at the door, who is oddly wearing a chauffeur's uniform and has what you're pretty sure is a wig on, uh, <laughs> you tell him you're a guest and you really just want to go to bed. The man looks back and forth, then opens the door and guides you in. There, you're greeted by four large men, one of who grabs you by the shoulders, spins you around, then slaps cuffs on you, and really smoothly, effortlessly glides you down to the floor. Oh, look at me. (laughs) Your face presses against the marble floor, and you watch the rough shoes of the robbery crew pace back and forth around you. All around you on the floor are hotel employees in various states of distress. (laughs) One of the housekeepers isn't feeling well, so they told her they wouldn't cuff her and she could just sit quietly facing the wall. Uh, <laughs> Think about what she's done. This, this is going to be a long coda to an already long night for you. Oh. Uh, you doze off <laughs> and a puddle of drool forms on the floor around your mouth. <laughs> and one of the thieves comes over to you with a handkerchief. He gently wipes away your drool and says, you okay, sir? They're calling everybody sir and ma'am as they talk to him. This gets more and more disorienting for you. And then you pass out. And scene. So an elderly man who was handcuffed started having chest pains, and one of the crew found a doctor in the hotel and summoned him down. Okay. Uh, like those magic incantations? Yeah. He's like, is there a doctor in the house? As soon as he'd stabilized the older guy, then he too, the doctor, is cuffed and forced to lay <laughs> on the ground. Um, the phone at the reception desk is just ringing every now and then, and guests are calling down for this or that. 
Bobby answers it every time. Like someone asked for pillows. And so he had one of the crew run them up. And then someone was like, you know, someone else wants like toothpaste or a hot water bottle. The crew's taking stuff up to people. But if they, get, if they do the delivery and someone like kind of acts up or questions like, oh, you're getting cuffed. Who, who is this man in this crazy wig bringing me a pillow? Yep. Cuff him, drag him downstairs, face down. Tile floor for you, buddy. They eventually ran out of handcuffs. <laughs> and they had to resort to tape. <laughs> Taping everyone's hands up. But they're they're polite to the hostages. They, yeah, it's, it's these hostages who are the problem. But they told them, questions. like, anyone here acts up or you think you're going to identify us to the cops, we're going to kill you. Oh. Like, they're just straight out. And we no... got two real killers, so. Oh, yeah. So what were they stealing? Uh, fun and prizes. <laughs> the whole target of the heist was safe deposit boxes at the hotel. Oh, I didn't think about that. See, Bobby figured that all the wealthy folks at the hotel would go to, like, Lux New Year's Eve parties and maybe New Year's Day Mm get-togethers, but he's focusing on the New Year's Eve parties. They'd have their absolute best jewels on them, probably a good amount of cash. You know, their walking-around money is different than our walking-around money. Yeah, it's folding money. So January 2nd was a Sunday. That meant that any of the heavy weight that the guests were carrying would be moved to more secure bank vaults come Monday. Uh-huh. But they're going to put them in the hotel for now. And with the New Year's holiday, the hotel was running on like a skeleton staff. I like where your head's at, Bobby. Uh-huh. Perfect time to pull a monumental heist. Seriously. And this was supposed to be Bobby's final heist. Oh, yes. One the last- classic. He wanted to retire from criming. Of course. Isn't that always the case? Always. One last score. I mean, I don't know how many times I've said that, Elizabeth. Just <laughs> the one last job, one. and then I'm out. <laughs> so Bobby and Sammy like did quick math in the run-up to the heist, and mm-hmm. they figured there was around like 20 to $30 million worth of goods for taking at the hotel. Damn. Cash, bonds, jewelry. Um that's between four, $143 million and $215 million today. Yeah, I was doing quick conversion rates. That's ridiculous. When I first um, typed that the other day, I accidentally typed bongs instead of bonds. And oh, how I laughed. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> there's a ton of dough in that hotel, and Bobby wanted in on it. Right? I want some treasury bongs. <laughs> So, for two and a half hours... What's that the five-year lipper average on a bong these days, Elizabeth? Do you know? I mean, I'm just trying to beat the markets over here. I don't know. It's it's a very fluid market. Um, Where was I? Oh, sorry. So, two and a half hours, Uh the the crew spends working on these safe deposit boxes containing bongs. Yes. Uh Um, The highly coveted bongs. The water pipes. they opened them up and it was just... Just all glass water pipes? Yeah, glass water. And like they smell... That'd be such a shame for them. Um, so they remember they look in the papers mm-hmm. to get figure out the big names to hit. So they have a list of all the people that they're they're going to try and find. There was this gossip column in the New York Daily News written by Susie Knickerbocker. Oh, that's a alias. great New York fake name. Um, and that was a goldmine of information for them. Huh. And so someone who was there, Harold Uris, a real estate tycoon. Huh. I wouldn't know who okay. that is. Yeah. Tom Yaki was an industrialist and the owner of the Boston Red Sox. That's what I was about to say. I know Yaki because of the yeah. street. The... Right. Calliope Kulakundis. Mm-hmm. Uh, take a guess. Calliope Kunakundis? Uh-huh. 
Made up? No, I don't know. Matriarch of a Greek Greek shipping empire. Oh, of course. If I would have thought about Greek it for half a second. Greek shipping empire. Of course. Um, you the would, Greeks with the shipping. Isn't that amazing? Just like centuries of domination. And the, the amount of wealth yes, in that. Like, it's just incredible. Greek shipping magnets are like bazillion. I'm telling you, you never hear about like an Estonian shipping magnet. No, they got you access really don't. to the water. Yeah, come Whatever. on now. Anyway. Equity. Um, <laughs> you wouldn't see those names and instantly know who they were. No, not at all. But the crew, they had all the names from the paper, and they know that those names equal money. Mm-hmm. So they crack open one box, and it has $500,000 in it. Just sitting there Just waiting sitting for there. Them. Another one had an unbelievable $3 million in it. Hot damn. That's $21.5 million today. Just sitting there. Yeah, this is a good I'm getting out of the game game. What in the world were they doing with that kind of money in, in the safe box? They're rich. I don't know. They just roll around with $3 million? I don't know. They just take it home and slap each other with it? I don't I know. Like, do you, like... I, I know what they're not doing with it. You're not buying I a big... I can tell you what they're not doing with it, Elizabeth. <laughs> you know, you can't... Well, like, if you're buying a big ticket item, you can't just show up with cash. Yeah. You're like, I'm going to buy this house. Here's I think it's, bricks it's of cash. security stuff. Like, you know, like, occasionally you want to do something. If they're buying stuff, being able to pay for it in cash mm-hmm. is a real come up. So if you would say, and back then, we're saying, okay, you want to buy a luxury car, a, a sailboat, a, a, a country home. Those all fall under the $500,000 line. Yeah, So yes. you can buy them on the instant, and you don't have to go to anybody. You don't talk to your accountant. You're nothing. And that's and how they like to operate. So on the weekend, if you want to buy that sailboat, you just go, I just need to go talk to a person real quick and then come back with your $500,000. It was pre-social media, so they held up the giant brick of cash to their ear and then someone had to take a Polaroid. We don't call that money over here. (laughs) So, I love that line. Um, So, another box Uh contained Baroness von Lagendorf's $750,000. It sounds like a made-up name. Like, I'm Baroness von Lagendorf. Baroness von Lagendorf, she had a $750,000 I can't talk today $750,000 Harry Winston diamond necklace I know who Harry Winston is me too nice look at us I've seen him mentioned on Oscars Oscars every Hollywood's year. biggest night he is it's really it's where I, between that and Elizabeth Taylor diamond commercials that's where I learned hey, all this listen, stuff hey listen we're, we're people of the world yeah, just, we contain multitudes. I just like to celebrate Hollywood's biggest night <laughs> always you're um, always so this is a mega score we okay. got cash we got Jules Baron Von something's mm-hmm. Jewels. Um, in all, they hit around 208 boxes and they collected $27 million in jewelry, cash, bonds, bongs, and such. Okay. That's about $200 million today. Yeah, quit it's the game. Mind blowing. You, you did it. So they made it out at 6.30 in the morning, half an hour before the 7 a.m. shift showed up. Oh. So it's perfect timing. Totally. On their way out, Bobby, continuing his childhood tradition, he gave 20 bucks to each staff member. He's like, here, for your troubles, for your troubles. <laughs> just like, I'm going to tip you out. Two tens, tri- for your troubles, for your troubles. Just like mommy used to totally, do. Totally, exactly. Um, and he warned them not to cooperate with the cops. He's like, you you, you tell them who we are. You try and, like, help them work up an identification. We're going to find you. It's, and he drew his finger across his neck. No, he did not. No, I, oh. he didn't. I made that up. Um, no, but he was like, I'm just going to kill you. I'm going to blow your head off. That's worse. I'm going to ventilate your face with bullets. <laughs> exactly. No, he just really slowly like drug his finger across his neck and made his eyes huge and his tongue hanging out of the mouth. And they didn't take him seriously. The Vigo Mortensen version of that from Eastern Promises is probably oh, the with best. The thumb. With the thumb across That's all the way. slow. I was at a minor league ball game once mm-hmm. and my friend had his kid there. Um, and the mom and the dad of the kid weren't really paying attention to him, and he was afraid of the mascot. The kid mm-hmm. was like four or five, and the mascot was freaking him out. 
And he kept running away from me. He came over to me and he was like, what do I do? And I'm like, you look that mascot right in the eye and you do this. And I had him draw his thumb across his neck. Easter Promises style? Uh Uh-huh. And then point at the mascot. And he did it. And the mascot turned and walked away. (laughs) He probably just quit, hung up the head. He was like, no more. (laughs) So that's a fun thing to teach kids. That is awesome. Um, I'm proud of you. So it sounds like they pulled off a perfect job, right? (laughs) It does. Um, Don't tell me this goes wrong. Well, this is ridiculous crimes. I know it goes wrong. And obviously they got caught. (laughs) I'm not just telling legends. This is my own private information I'm sharing with you. Um, When we get back from this break, let's talk about when perfect heists go bad. Okay. I'm going to chill out with some ads. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The wait is over. The shy is back on Paramount Plus, and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the South Side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash shot to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. Hey, Zern. What's up, Elizabeth? Welcome to my house of crimers. Oh, nice. I like how you've developed a cozy relationship with crime. Yeah. I'm not going to give you a recap of what I was talking about. If you can't remember what happened before those beautiful ads, then that sounds like a U problem. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It's totally. And a W and a V problem. <laughs> We're not just saying letters? No. Oh, okay. LMNOP. <laughs> um, remember how one of the boxes had $3 million in cash? Yes. Do you remember that? I do remember that. that. Was fun. Yeah, and Langendorf's jewels. I remember yeah, a lot. The Baroness. Yes. Um, well, it was in $500 bills. Okay. And $500 bills were taken out of circulation in 1969. Yeah, nice. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> kind um, of a tell. That stuff was a no go. Like, yeah. if you have, they're out of circulation, there's really no effective way to move that money. Uh, you would you like have to find someone by, dumber than you. Or, like, piece by piece, I suppose you could take it to a bank and be like, can you switch this out to. I wouldn't do that. I'd find someone dumber than me to go do that. Like, That's look, very true. I'll sell you this money. Well, it was pretty much worthless to them yeah. at this point. And do you remember the Lucchese family consigliere, um, Christy Tick? Yeah, Christy Tick. Uh, he wanted a bigger cut than usual Ooh. after this all went down. He said he wanted 33%. And he's the one who brought the contract killer, so you kind of have to listen. Yeah. So he's like, I want 33%. Sammy didn't like that at all. So he sent most of the haul to a friend's house in Detroit. Sammy. Sammy. This is a bad move. 
very bad move. Bobby went to his roots. I hope the friend in Detroit's part of the purple gang, because otherwise this <laughs> otherwise, ain't going to work. Uh-oh. Um, Bobby went to his roots, uh-huh. and he tried fencing the jewelry to mobsters in Rochester. Okay. However, the mobsters kept the goods and wouldn't pay him. This is a problem with crime. You never, you can't call the cops. No, he tried to get it all back, and they almost killed him. Yeah, this and is, yeah. So after that, he met up with Sammy in Detroit to figure, okay, let's just fence the jewelry Can I have here. some of yours? <laughs> <laughs> well, Bobby and Sammy, they get arrested when a Detroit mobster got his hands on the Harry Winston necklace. What did he do? Well, the Detroit mobster was actually an FBI informant. Oh, yeah. snap. So after their arrest... Sammy's Detroit pals get nervous, and they turn— Do you know how many mobsters are FBI informants? It's right? really kind of ridiculous. Yeah, it's, it's all—the mob is just an FBI operation. <laughs> They're all informants. At this point? <laughs> and so um, the, the guys in Detroit who have the jewelry, they get nervous when Bobby and Sammy get arrested. So they turn the rest of the jewelry around—which is worth around $750,000. Uh-huh. They give it to the cops. <laughs> They're like, we don't want any part of this. Um. Millions more in jewelry and cash were taken to Mexico by another associate of Sammy's. Okay. And that guy was never heard from again. Huh? Yeah. That sucks for Bobby and Sammy and the Lucchese's, I suppose. It's great for that but dude, But that though. is rad for that dude. <laughs> it's a he real just, come up. He just effed off to Mexico. Cheers. That'd be Cheers my plan. Him. Yeah. So Bobby and Sammy. you speak Spanish. Come find me. <laughs> exactly. He, Bobby and Sammy, they take a plea deal, and they each served only 19 months in prison. Yeah. They, you know, they usually don't well, throw the book at you like, for, no, that, for nonviolent stuff. No. It came out later uh-huh. that the plea deal was actually a $500,000 bribe from the Lucchese family to a Manhattan Supreme Court justice. That also helps. That, uh, that, that does. Really that really will uh, lubricate the wheels of justice. <laughs> so, when news of the $750,000 worth of recovered jewelry in Detroit hit the papers— Ali Ben and his brother-in-law, Al Green, they decided to split. They went to Europe, huh. much like Diamond Doris Payne. And Al um, Green did not change his name, just his career. Just his when career. Became a- uh, Frankos, one of the other contract killers, he was promised $750,000, but he only got fifty grand. Oh. And he was mad. I bet he And he, he was. swore revenge. There was nastiness with Frankos, Ali Ben, and Al Green. I'm not going to talk about it because that's not the crime we're discussing right now. Oh, yeah, so, <laughs> like that, huh? Um, I just stepped aside and I keep going. Tears. Okay. I just change lanes and I put it into fourth. Um, okay, so Bobby, he wound up working with Ira Burkow uh-huh. on a book about the heist. Naturally. Got to write a book. That's... The Man Who Robbed the Pierre. The most literate people in the world apparently are criminals. I mean, it's <laughs> exactly, just... exactly. So uh, it was called The Man Who Robbed the Pierre, the story of Bobby Comfort and the biggest hotel robbery ever. Hmm. When Burkow was writing the book, 1978, the statute of limitations had expired on Bobby's criminal past, and that allowed him to avoid prosecution for information shared regarding the crimes. Hmm. So they had that going for him. Yeah. Nick the Cat, yeah. only surviving heist participant, he gave a tip regarding a triple murder he overheard information about while in jail. And he was placed in the Federal Witness Protection Program in 1974. Oh, so he went from cat to snitch. Exactly. Works. Exactly. going to keep you alive. <laughs> so... Uh, Nick the Cat, he decided to break his long-held silence about the heist, however. (laughs) 
Um, he, collab- he collaborated with author Daniel Simone. Okay. So another book Get to write a books. tell-all book about the heist entitled The Pierre Hotel Affair. And this way, it's more of a tell-more book. Yes. Yes. So Nick the Cat, he stayed anonymous uh-huh. by corresponding with Simone via P.O. box and phone conversations. They never met face-to-face. Oh, I like this. So he maintained his witness protection. It's like when you put uh, like messages to me in the newspaper. Exactly. Yeah. Those are your messages, right? Uh, sure. Yeah, right? <laughs> so um, he published the book in 2017. Okay. Um, it's been optioned to be made into a movie called Eight Gentlemen Thieves. I think that would be a good one. I think it would. According to Nick the Cat, everyone involved in the heist went into it with an all or nothing mentality, it which you like kind of have to, right? He said, quote, we decided we weren't going to give up. We were going to shoot first. Okay. <laughs> All right, Kat. Um, at one point, a patrol car was spotted driving by as the robbers were emptying a vault, but it didn't stop. And this is what Nick the Cat said, quote, Of course, nothing goes as you wanted to. Hair-raising incidents cropped up left and right. Many of the Pierre's guests, rich and influential, were eccentric, bizarre characters whose lives were as weird as a vegetarian wolf. Yes, that's the best simile I've heard in days. <laughs> that is a Zarin style simile. I like that High one. High as giraffe's eyebrows. That's perfect. <laughs> um, so the Pierre Hotel heist is listed in the Guinness Book of World Records as the largest, most successful hotel robbery in history. <laughs> the Guinness Book of World Records keeps it for heights. Right? <laughs> well, and to this day, though, no one knows how much was taken. Yeah. It's still a mystery. I like it. Nick the Cat said most of the jewelry was taken to New York jeweler contacts, who removed all identifying marks, ground down the jewels, reset them, and then resold them all over the yeah, country. Yeah, you know who does not care about where they get stuff? Jewelers and bankers. <laughs> exactly. And Nick the Cat also said that there was always suspicion that Bobby and Sammy didn't fully divulge the sum total of the stolen goods in order to keep more profits from Mm -hmm. themselves. Um, And a lot of things weren't reported as stolen by the victims. That's what I was going to say. Because they didn't want to report to the IRS. That's a comment. We've seen that Mm -hmm. before. So, Zarin. Elizabeth. What is your ridiculous takeaway? Man, uh, if you're going to get into, like, the robbery game, right— these guys pretty much did it almost perfectly, but they left out the one thing that we often talk about. It's, you know, I always say it. There's three parts of a crime, the planning, the commission, and the getting away. They did not have a solid getaway plan, no, which surprises me because they had everything unlocked. Well, I mean, and then all of a sudden, the only one is the dude who went down to Mexico. He had it. He's like, look, I'm getting out of the country, and you guys, are, you're going to have to come on an adventure to find my ass. Well, and part of, like, the what's going to happen after, um, you know, we're saying he—, he he didn't think the then what. No, exactly. But he made the mistake of putting his faith in a large criminal enterprise. Yeah. So, like, who is he to go up against the Lucchese crime family or the yeah, Rochester no, mob? None of those. He had no leverage. None. So he didn't think that through. The um, only leverage he had was when he had the jewels and then they needed them from him. Right. That, and he should have, that should have been part of his getting out plan, which is, I'll give this if you give me that. And then whoosh, you're right. gone. Where they just took it and were like, what are you going to do now? Exactly. Then yeah. they flex on him. Oh, remember, we're a crime family. Like, did you not remember that part? <laughs> the big part of it? Yeah, we're crime? Not... Are my middle name? Exactly. Crime? It's on the top of the building. <laughs> Well, I was I was listening to Rancid uh-huh. as I put this outline okay. together. And when I got to the section about everything falling apart for mm-hmm. him after the heist, the song Hyena was on. Oh, nice. And there's the chorus, Hyena fighting for the lion's share. Sometimes that lion's share ain't there. <laughs> and it was like, this is way too accurate. <laughs> so so he, Bobby never had a chance to walk the straight and narrow. Nope. And like criminal movement was all he knew. Sure. 
Um, it was all that was around him. So his normal was so different from Main Street society, but he was just like clawing at scraps. You know, he had all these huge heists, but mm-hmm. in the end, he wound up being little Bobby pulling the the money out from under the pillow. He never escaped the idea of taking money from dad. Yeah. You know, he never got to the place that he was a man. He would be the one to make the, to exactly. have the money, make the money. Exactly. Yeah. Poor Bobby. Well, that's all I have. That was a good one. Bobby Comfort and Sammy Arab. I love it. (laughs) You can find us online at Ridiculous Crime on both Twitter and Instagram. Email us if you want at RidiculousCrime at gmail.com. Download the iHeart app and leave us a talkback. I dare you to do that. And tune in next time. You could be like, hey, everybody, it's me, Elizabeth Dutton. (gasps) Look at you. It's contagious. (laughs) That was pretty good. Ridiculous Crime is hosted by Elizabeth Dutton and Zarin Burnett. Produced and edited by Dave Couston, consigliere to the Peachtree crime family. Research is by diamond-laden heiress Marissa Brown and flashy socialite Andrea Song Charpentier. The theme song is by Thomas the Hamster Lee and Travis the Chinchilla Dutton. Executive producers are Ben, can I get some fresh pillows, Bolin, and Noel, you can wait until you're done stealing all the cash, Brown. Life is depressing, the earth is actively trying to kill us. Life is depressing, government's trade deals with the devil. How can I go back to a space where my smile is in place? I pull out my secret weapon, a big old tub of a ranch conception. It's my new favorite obsession. It will rocket me right to heaven. Hidden Valley Ranch Ice Cream. I'm sorry you had to hear that. I wrote that song for you guys. It's uh, kind of my take on a review of the ranch ice cream. Um, And I didn't have a lot of time. I had to sing it quickly, and I had to cut out a few lines. But, uh, yeah, Elizabeth asked for a song, so there you go. I hope you're happy. Ridiculous crime. Say it one more time. Ridiculous crime. Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org.